Welcome and thank you for tuning into Crossroads Church Aspen and our teaching ministry. We are thrilled that you desire to learn more about God and His Word. We also want to encourage you not to make this a substitute for belonging to a local church in your area. We were made for community and to be relationally connected to each other in the body of Christ. Remember, isolation kills, but community builds. We hope this message blesses you and draws you deeper into the community of Christ Church. Okay, I want to dive in. Um, we are starting this morning our uh, new series. We're going to be in the book of Jonah. So Jonah is probably the most famous or known of the minor 12 prophets in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to, it's only four chapters long. It's a little book, but it has a big, big message uh, to it. And so I just want to encourage everyone to dive in with this. Take some time, read. It's only four chapters. Just read, reread, and let God speak to you, speak to us through this series as we go through the book of Jonah. We're going to kind of go verse by verse and deal with uh, the different themes along the way. Just trusting the Lord is going to really speak to us uh, in a big way. Uh, this book is so rich, and I'm subtitling Jonah on the gospel because it, it, there's just so many beautiful connections in, in this whole thing. Um, most of you know Jonah because of the whale. And if you were in Sunday school, maybe, you know, it's one of the famous stories. But I want to just begin by just saying this as we look towards this series. Don't get hung up with the whale. Was it a fish? Was it a whale? How big is that? Can a, can a man really be swallowed by a fish? And can he hang out in there three days and live? And, and how does that, how does he get spit up? I mean, how does that work, right? I mean, that's kind of gross. I mean, is that possible, right? Um, don't get hung up there. If you get hung up with that, what about a man who walks out of grave and defeats death? As Aspen intellects will never hear the voice of God unless you can get past your intellect and embrace faith. So I want to begin this whole series. I'm going to throw a bunch of questions at us. And the first one I want to throw is because it's going to permeate this entire study. But I want to ask you this. Are you okay with a faith that has more questions than answers where we have to learn how to trust God? Are you okay with a faith of following God, following Jesus, that has more questions than answers where we have to learn how to trust Him? Are you okay with that? That's Christianity, by the way. That's what it is to follow God. And this book presses us in this, in this whole thing of, of wrestling at the depth of our soul of what it looks like to trust God. The other theme, and you're going to hear a new terminology, I think, in this, in this series, kind of my overarching, I hope, our overarching process in going through this book will be one thing. I want to introduce a new term, unbelieving believers. Unbelieving believers. This defines the American church. Unbelieving believers who are struggling to trust God at His Word and more hung up with our agenda and how God should be doing things, right? We're all there. I'm there. Right? And so Jonah presses us into this thing because Jonah was an unbelieving believer. He wrestled with repentance. He wrestled over and over again with what God told him to do. And he'd get it right a little bit. The little being a, swallowed up by a fish, that'll help you get your act right for a little while. What we're going to see with Jonah is that, man, he flips right back around and still goes at it with God. 
And the book leads us in this place of no answer and this tension of, is Jonah really going to stay angry at God? Not trusting him? And so the goal, I think, I, I, what I hope is that we'll, we'll go from being unbelieving believers to trusting followers of Jesus through our time right in this, in this book. All right, let me take you on a little journey this morning. I'm going to fire some questions our way. Is God at work in the hard places? Does he expect us to join him in those physical and spiritual hard places? Is he at work there? The hard places. Physical places and spiritual places in the depths of our heart. And does he expect us to join him there? Is it possible to love God and just keep living the life we have? Come on, God, I want a little church. I want a little bit of your Bible. I want the blessings, but man, I like my life. I'm living the dream here. Can't I just, God, can't I just follow you, Jesus, and just kind of have you and have my great little life here? I think we know the answer to that. What does it really mean for God to tell us that his ways are not our ways? Ugh, dang. Ever wrestled with that one? But God, but God, this is what I want. This is what I desire. Why aren't you doing this? Ever been in a desert, wilderness? Or are you God? Silence. What does it really mean for God to tell us and to show us that his ways are higher than our ways. Would he really allow people who love him, who he loves, to suffer and fail? Would our loving God really allow us to suffer and fail? And if so, is this a God who can use suffering and failure, the worst suffering imaginable? And can he use the worst of the worst failure for his purposes and to make something beautiful out of it? Maybe God is concerned about something far deeper and more important than we are. Maybe there's something about life that is we just haven't even grasped yet because we're trying to control and maintain our life. In a crisis of faith, can we choose to trust Jesus who we cannot control? Any control freaks out there? Anybody with me? Man, I guess, all right, that's my problem. Need to let you guys teach me about that one. All right, good. I got one back there. One brother. All right, two. All right, three. All right, good. We're... <laughs> In a crisis of faith, can we choose to trust Jesus who we can't control? Hmm. Are we willing to walk with our Heavenly Father whose ways are so different? Are we willing to walk with God intimately whose ways are so different than ours? It just doesn't make sense sometimes what he calls us to do and, and what he's doing. But are, are we willing? Is he worth it? 
Are we willing to lean on him who makes impossible demands? Are we willing in the midst of the impossible demand to trust him and to move towards it and lean into him? Are we willing to move from being an unbelieving believer to a trusting follower of Jesus? Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, I pray for this series, Lord. I just pray that you will take us, Lord, mold us, awaken us. Lord, move down below into the deep places, Father. Deliver us, set us free, God. Lord, show us your vast love, Lord. You are after us. You, are, you have relentless, fierce mercy, God. Lord, teach us. Let the gospel become bigger and more glorious as we journey through this, this little prophet in the Old Testament. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope that you'll take some of those questions. We're going to keep coming back to them. All those questions, I could keep going on and on, are just in these four little chapters of Jonah. Just, just go right to our heart and, and, and make us really right dig in deep with our intellect and what is our faith where is our faith what is this relationship with God and and boy have I boxed God in am I thinking biblically do I have a right view of God or have I been sucked into the world and have this false weak view of God all right a little background just before we get in here with Jonah um, Jonah is one of the most uh, popular I think best known of the minor the 12 prophets in the Old Testament um, right after Daniel if you want to find your way there, we're going to be in the first few verses. I encourage you, please, bring your Bibles. I know it's a crazy idea, but we need to restore this back to God's people coming to church with the Word in hand. It changes our mentality, I promise you, when you carry the, the Bible versus when you carry your, your phone with the Bible on it. A whole different experience, okay? And I encourage you to bring your journal. Be ready to take a note, to hear from God. It might not even be anything I'm talking about or we're talking about together, but God speaks among his people, and there should be an expectation that God is, is going to speak in this time. And so I want to read for us just uh, Jonah. Uh, there's a lot of discussion. In 2 Kings chapter 14, Jonah is mentioned as uh, the son of Amittai, and he was around roughly the 8th century BC and, and, and uh, working with, uh, with one of the kings back there, Jeroboam, actually. And so we know that he was a prophet. Um, he's spoken of, attested to in the Old Testament, and then Jesus himself in the New Testament um, gives us a little insight into Jonah. It mentions Jonah in Matthew chapter 12. I just want to read this for us because this is going to be a theme. Uh, as we get into this book, Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 38. This is what Jesus says. says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. In other words, prove to us you're the Messiah. Prove to us you're God. Prove to us who you are. And, and we we're all saying, they're going, Wow, didn't he do that? Like water and wine, like healing? And I mean, what, was that enough? I mean, what kind of sign do you want? You know? Uh, well, they were looking for in what their intellect would say is that, that that does. But the reality is if they have anybody who's looking for a sign, no matter what the sign is, no matter what the miracle is, is their heart is hardened until we get past that. Even as we'll see with Jonah. 
But he answered, Jesus answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, listen to this, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus. And those are his words. Wow. A little background. Nineveh goes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. This founding of this this ancient city that had all kinds of history. The Assyrians made it their capital, and the Assyrians were some of the most dreaded people. Uh, uh, Tiglar Pisasar is one king, Sargon II. I mean, these were some bad folks, and history is, is full of just how really bad and evil they were. They were Israel's arch enemies. They were seen as evil and decadent and, and, and conquerors and kind of the worst of the worst. I mean, if you've seen the Lord of the Rings, I mean, it's like Sargon, you know, it's probably where he got the name, you know, and all of the, the horde of, of ugliness is kind of how the Assyrians are defined. Um, and uh, the kingdom itself uh, was actually destroyed in about, um, I think it's about 600 BC, um, and the ruins today are on the east side of the Tigris, just across from Mosul in Iraq. And so the ruins of Nineveh still exist. It's never been re rebuilt um, since then. But you've heard of Mosul, obviously, in news. It's very close to that, the ruins of this city. And so the story of Jonah is, as we're going to see, um, and let me just read for us now these, these three first verses of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Jonah now is a prophet in Israel. Okay. Go, arise, go to Nineveh. In other words, go to your archenemy. In other words, in, in their mind, go to hell. Go to the worst, worst, worst place you could ever imagine, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. <laughs> Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. It's like, what? Nowhere in the Old Testament do we have a prophet of God when the word of God has come to them, doubt or question it, they go and they do it. This is the only time where there's, we don't have the backstory here, but it was like no second guessing. It's just like, I'm out of here. I'm running. <clears throat> Anybody run from God? Yeah, come on. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a, <laughs> a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Away from the presence of the Lord. Good luck with that, right? And he's a prophet of God. But you know what? Again, as we're going to get into in this series, that's our story. And you know what? This is not a new story. All the way back to Genesis, what did Adam and Eve do after they sinned? And sin and shame and guilt, condemnation got onto them. What, what was the first thing they did? They, were, they hid. They hid. They tried to think they could hide from God. Like, I'm just going to go off living my life and, oh, you, God, you know, I, somehow I can put some fig leaves on and we can cover things up and we can 
try to hide our life from God. We've done, every one of us has done this. We've run. As old hymn says, right, we're prone to wander, right? We're prone to wander. And so what I want to do this morning is um, I just want to get us in. This is just introductory, get us into this book, right? And I just want to give you, I think, four or five themes. And in this series, there's going to be somewhere I preach and teach, and there's going to be somewhere we have a lot of dialogue. And even this morning, um, if we can have the mic ready, I just want us to talk, right? This is church should be two-way dialogue, never just one way, right? Just like our relationship with God. It should not be one way. It should be two ways, right? It's a relationship. And uh, we just need to dive in on this. So I'm going to give you a little ground rules for this, is that uh, I'm going to go over some of these points, throw some stuff out that we're going to dive into in these weeks together in this. And, uh, and then, just this morning, if, if you have something, again, it needs to be short, but if you have something that, boy, an exhortation for us of the goodness of God and the glory of Jesus, just give it to us. Stand and let the mic, will come to you, give it to us. If you have a question about some of these things that I'm just getting ready to throw up, just ask the question so we can talk about it, all right? And that's kind of how we're going to journey through this, this series together, okay? Make sense? Everybody on board with that? Just want freedom in there. This is the church family. It's like we're in a living room. This is not a stage where you're to sit passively and watch or hear. It's, it's, it's the only way to grow and to be a family in churches to interact, right? And so that's what we're going to do. So here we go. A couple of things here. <clears throat> First, God is talking questions. Are we listening? God is talking. Are we listening? It says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Well, how did it come? It doesn't tell us, but we know in all of Scripture that the word of the Lord sometimes came with an audible voice. Sometimes it comes with a dream. Sometimes it comes with a vision. Sometimes it's the written word. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a prophetic word. Sometimes a word of knowledge. Sometimes it's a circumstance. Sometimes it, it, oh, there's endless ways through his creation, on and on, that God speaks. I ask you this morning, have you put boundaries around how you expect God to speak to you? Have you put up an intellectual barrier to not receive or maybe kind of put your arms up when it comes to how God wants to speak to you and to his people today? Do you have a limited view of revelation because of your theology? Are you limiting? Oh, he only speaks through his word. Now, to walk with God, he's vast and as we'll see he will speak because you're his child. His fierce mercy is after us as we're going to see his love for Nineveh. Unbelievable. He loves you and he's after you. The question is, are we listening? Right? Or have we put things in our life that right, keep him right, from, from that in, in our life? And what about the call of God? He was called to be a prophet. So we're going to get into this whole idea of calling. And, and the terminology I'm using is, I think for all of us, you know, sometimes, just like you have in your hotel room, that little thing that you put on the door handle that says, do not disturb. I think in many of our lives, you know what we have? We have this little thing hung over the, our soul that says, do not disturb. Because see, I'm in Aspen and I'm living the dream. Life is good. So don't, do not disturb this heart. Do not disturb this soul. Let's not get too deep. Let's not get too, let's not get messy. Do not disturb. Um, there's another thing called the Jonah syndrome. 
And the Jonah syndrome is this language used kind of define this idea that when God calls us, when he gives us a dream, when he gives us a calling, when he gives us something for our life, along with that, like anything in life, there comes what? Responsibility and commitment. And I just ask you is, is do you know your calling for your life? Your talents God has given you, it's not, it just didn't happen, do you know that? Everything you have, everything I have is from the goodness of our of Father. Every talent you have, every uh, you know, accomplishment you have, is God-given. And has God called you to do something? In your life, can you track by, was there something that God has called us to do? And, and the thing is, it comes with responsibility. The greater the revelation, the greater the responsibility. The greater blessing is speaking into our lives, the greater responsibility and commitment that comes with it. So I just ask you, are you running from commitment? Are you trying to live life and move through life to do the least you can, to be, to be the least, you know, kind of the, 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 the FOMO things. I gotta keep my options open. Something else might come up. Is that how you're living? Are you running from responsibility? Is, is life secure in the sense of, you know what, I'm just gonna try to stay as comfortable as possible and not have any friction, not have any problems? Is there a tendency just to flee from responsibility because no one will ever walk in God's goodness and plan for their life without embracing commitment and responsibility? Right. God is talking, right? Are we listening to him? We'll see in the book of Jonah just that theme over and over again in our life. How are we handling crises of faith? How are we handling this, this, when, when life were coming along and, and you know what, man, it just seems like a big old fish has come and swallowed us and we're in darkness and we can't get, a, we can't get up for a breath of air. How are we handling the crisis of faith? How are we handling, right, the idea of running from God? Has God given you something? Do you know that if there's something in your life right now that you know, you know that God has said it, you know that God has called you to it, you know that God has called you to a step of obedience or a decision or whatever it is, but you've been on the run towards Tarshish. By the way, Tarshish, historically, we don't know the exact geography. It's not like El Dorado or Shangri-La that's some made-up, you know, utopia. Shang Tarshish was a real utopia. It was a far-reaching place. Some think far reaches of Spain. It was a long merchant area. It's where people, commerce was. It was, it was like the high life. It was, it was the place to escape to. It, it was where the adventure was. It, it was where I'm going to find life. That's where Jonah was headed. Tarshish, come on, I'm just going to escape life. I'm going to get rid of responsibility, get rid of commitment. I'm going to live the dream. Sound familiar? Tarshish. How are we handling crisis of faith? When tough times hit, when the suffering comes, when the trials come, the failure comes, and ah, what are we doing in those times? How are we processing those things with God? The crises of faith. Does our understanding of the gospel include repentance? Now we're getting a little deeper, aren't we? Have we embraced a therapeutic idea of brokenness rather than surrender to God? 
See, it's very chic today in our therapeutic culture to just speak of our brokenness, to speak of my mess, to speak of my crises of faith and my failure or go down the list, all of our stuff. But, and that's a good step. We've got to get it out to get it healed. But the question is, there is no healing. There is no deliverance. God does not move and he does not respond to just brokenness, talking about my mess. He responds to one thing, one thing only, as we're going to see over and over again in, in the book of, of Jonah. Repentance. What is repentance? You know, it's just a word, that word, oh, it's just kind of, it's a hard religious word, isn't it? It's word simply means it's a turning 180 degrees from what I was doing or thinking towards God and repenting before him, surrendering. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to surrender. This is the real work. See, it's, it's, it's hard, but it, we, we all get it because it's very, as I said, popular today to, to work through our problems, and here they are. Here's my mess. Here's, here, here's the problem, and that's good and important, but, but nothing really changes. God does not move until I take that next step, the deeper, harder step, to repent. God, forgive me. I want to change my ways. I'm turning towards you. Help me. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Because see, today in the church in America, we're a bunch of unbelieving believers. We say, like Jonah, I believe. But when it comes to really practicing, because see, repentance, a lot of us, I grew up thinking that was a one-time shot. That's what I did when I received Jesus. (laughs) Repentance to, to follow Jesus, it's a daily thing. Lord, show me your ways. Right? It's a revelation of my flesh and learning to let the Spirit of God, right, lead with me in this. This is the only time, and, and we're going to track with Jonah. He's, he's, boy, the, the belly of the, the crisis of faith with the belly of the fish, man, he repented. He got right with God. Spits him out. He gets back on his course of what God called him to, and then what happened? He gets down pouty again. And he hadn't repented yet of the deeper issue that was really going on, which is he just could not get over, no, God, I'm sorry. I know you're a good and a gracious and merciful, loving God, but not for these people. They deserve fire, God. There are enemies, God. Your grace is not that big, God, right, for them. And that leads us to this. Does our understanding of God's love include God's sovereignty and justice? We're going to dive deep into, you know what? We do not have a clue what love is. Do you know that? We throw that word around like it's a cupcake. We don't know what the love, and and let's go a little deeper. We don't know. We talk about the love of God. Everybody will say, oh, it's unconditional. What do you mean by that? Do you know that God's love, yes, it is unconditional, but you know there's also a conditional aspect of God's love? And you know, you cannot speak of God's love without understanding his sovereignty because he's not loving unless he's sovereign, which means he is what? He's overall. And he's surely not loving if he's not just. If he's not willing to bring justice into a situation, then he can't be loving. But we haven't created, culturally speaking, right, this idea of love, this, oh, just love. And we hear that language, oh, just love them. Just love them. That's not how God did it. You won't find that in the scripture, right? So we have to really wrestle deeply with, man, what? 
Wait, now I talk about God's love for me, his immense, lavish love. We don't get the magnitude of it because you know what? Oftentimes is we miss the whole justice, the whole sovereignty bit, and I don't understand how much his loves me until I understand what he took for me on the cross. That's where unbelieving believers... I want God's love, but when it comes to the repentance, when it comes to his call on me to bring my life in alignment with, with him, and Jesus said, if you love me, you what? You obey my commands. Right? This isn't unconditional. Oh, you know what? You'll, you can abide with me, God. He's, he's not, a, but this is, this is the God that we've created in America. He's loving. He's so gracious. He's so merciful. And you can, you can have this love fest with God, and, and you don't have to obey. You can do whatever you want to do. You, that's nowhere in the scripture, you know that? But you know, that's how we live today. I can live how I want to live. I can go live the dream. I, and, you know, I'm, and I can somehow abide in the love of God. No. It's not the love of God. That, that, that's an affront to his, his, his mercy and his justice. His love is stronger than that. It's deeper than that, right? So we're going to dive in on this issue. Just like Jonah, I just wonder, you know, sometimes if I'm stuck, often what it means is I need to go back to the last time that God told me to do something. And it could just be that I have not been obedient to that last command, that last call of God. And I need to circle back around to get right there from my running, right, from God. And we'll see if Jonah will help us with that. Are we mobilized by God's love for the lost or hardened by cynicism? Mm. Gang, do you know, I mean, it is going to be so amazing as we get into this book. I, I still can't get over it. In other words, we get so lost in the whale and all this stuff, and we miss the magnitude of historically, this is the most radical revival that ever broke out. Bigger, grander than what happened in Jesus' time. Jonah shows up and he's still the pitiful prophet and he reluctantly goes and does what God calls him to do, marches into town 40 days. This place, God is, God's judgment is going to fall on this city that was 120,000 people at least. It could just be adults in there. And, and boom, what happens? These, these wicked, like, like terrible people that, that rip people's lips off, and I could go down the list, it's terrible, right? It, it, is they repented. They heard the message from Jonah and then the word got to the king and the king from the top down called a fast across the entire city and, and said, everybody, sackcloth and ashes, let's repent, let's cry out to God that he may what? He may save us. Wow. And the entire, it wasn't like a little thing over in this house, over here. The entire city. The love of God, God saw that. And, and folks, I'm just, we're going to get into this deeply. God responds to nothing more profoundly than he does repentance. A heart that is and desires to get right with God. He moves powerfully. In an individual, he moves powerfully into a whole city when a heart desires, God, I, I want to know you. I, I want to get right with you, God. Man, he moves heaven. Nothing moves God's heart like repentance. And he steps back. And he doesn't do what he told Jonah he would do. And, and the mercy of God fell on this entire city. 
from the top down. Incredible. Do we have faith today for the love of God that vast for our city? For people in our lives? Or has cynicism gripped us? Ah, nobody wants to hear that stuff anymore. Where's our heart? Where's our expectation? And what we're going to see in Jonah is this really awakening, this real sense of, man, what do I believe about the gospel? Do I really understand the magnitude of what God did when he covered and put my sins on the cross and took what I deserved, took it for me? If I understood that, then the love of God should motivate me to move towards the places like Nineveh and other people who know nothing of that kind of love and who will be left one day standing before a holy, perfect God without the grace of God. The church, are we motivated by his love? The full idea of his love. He doesn't grade on the curve. It's not there. The cross is the magnitude of that amazing aspect of God. Right? All right, well, that's a lot to chew on. That's where we're headed. I hope that you'll take these things, read those for just, just let that stuff churn in, in your heart and, and awaken what's going on inside you. Let's wrestle, let's talk, let's throw out the, the questions and the, raise the questions and have some dialogue. But let me just throw it open. Who's got a question or just wants to give us an exhortation of just rejoice in God and who he is? Anybody this morning? Back here. I'll try to keep it short, but it's yeah. not real short. Yeah. I've got to give just a little background to the story first. Uh, when we came here, there were a group of mothers here, Connie Waldron, Marie Krantz, uh, Kathy Taylor, uh, Kathy Gibson. There were a group who were playing, praying for a Christian pediatrician. And so when we had an opportunity to come here, it's kind of like, yeah, right, go to Sin City with our kids. That's yeah, not yeah. the... You know, God doesn't tell you to do something like that. But we came. And the main reason we uh, came is the church. I mean, that's what was holding us back. And until we found the church, we didn't decide to, to come. And at the church here, our kids were raised here in the church and had the input of Kathy Taylor and Marion and uh, um, Appleby and the like of these people. And so they got a good foundation here in Sin City. So who I wanted to tell you about is our son, John, our, our middle son. <clears throat> our, we have the three boys that are, well, we had two boys and we had boy-girl twins. And they're all about two years apart. And because they're two years apart, they never got to be on the same soccer team, uh, hockey team, that kind of thing. And John's dream, he had always wished his brothers could be on the team with him. They played the same sports, but just not on the same team. And, and so they had a son, and 18 months later, they had a second son. And they were just thrilled because they were going to be a grade apart the way their birthdays came. They were going to get to be teammates. And uh, John, uh, before his son came, and I don't think they even knew it was a boy at the time, he was thinking that, wow, my life is so good. My job is fantastic. They're living in Miami. I like living here. My wife and I are getting 
along. We've got the house we want. Things are just really terrific. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? And so the second son uh, came, and he was about five weeks uh, early. And then when he was five weeks old, he died of SIDS. But uh, a couple of months later, uh, John's uh, wife is from Taiwan and grew up in the British, uh, Buddhist, uh, British, <laughs> the Buddhist uh, tradition and the, the like. Um, and he had led her to the, the Lord. So they go to the uh, uh, Baptist Chinese Christian Church of Miami and the, the like. And uh, we go with him from time to time. And when John is there, they're out of a congregation of several hundred. There is one with blue eyes and light brunette hair uh, and the like. And he's also six feet tall, so he stands out for several reasons. And so uh, a couple of months after their son died, because of the faith that he had, had established uh, here with a praying great-grandmother and grandmother and parents and the support of a church, he was able to stand up for the congregation and say, God loves me. Yeah. In spite of what had happened in his life, and I love God. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's some of the that's topics it. you've been covering here in, yeah. in trusting God. I don't yeah. know, and he still doesn't know, why did this happen? Sure. Uh, another 18 months go by, and they have a little girl who's the light of their life, and yeah. life is still yeah. good for them and the like. But even when horrible things mm. happen, mm. sometimes we don't know why, right. but uh, God loves us. Trust, we lean into his love. Yeah, amen, Bill. Thank you for that, brother. Awesome. Anybody else? Question or just uh, exhort us with something, something good? I uh, love the timing of this, but um, we have a seven-year-old, so the insights of a seven-year-old in the Bible are always amazing. Um, but I was reading our seven-year-old this book. It's called The Brick Bible. So it's like Lego depictions of the stories. And there's the story of Jonah. So the first three verses are amazing because God tells this guy what to do. And then the guy runs away. So the seven-year-old's observation is, why didn't God just tell those people? Mm. And so wow. you know, the answer wow. to that, there's a lot to learn about why God told Jonah and what lesson we're learning from Jonah and what Jonah is learning from God. Wow. Um, but the questions of a seven-year-old, you know, looking at those first three verses and thinking, <laughs> God could have told those people himself what's going out on. Out of mouths of babes. Wow. And we will, yeah. Did you see that? Boy, that's good. Somebody else? Oh, that's good. Wow. Huh? We're going to have several weeks to answer that question. <laughs> but he uses us, right? I mean, the simple answer is that God, that's the whole point. Right, we're to journey with God. Right? He wants a partnership with us. That's it. Friendship. Uh, and listening to you talk about um, Tarshish, what came to mind for me was Samson went down to Timnah, which was uh, yeah. a uh, heathen city, yeah. and he didn't listen to God. Yeah. And what happened to him there yeah. uh, because of that decision and what happened in his life, but it was still... God was still in control. Yeah. 
So I think it's interesting to lay that story alongside this one and yeah. look at what happened. Absolutely. It's over and over and over again in the scripture, isn't it? Running from God and getting off track with God. We've all been there. This is our life. And, and God's just saying, walk with me. I've got, the, I've got the best for you. And God doesn't, he doesn't waste any of that. He doesn't waste any of our failures or mistakes. By his grace, he takes it, right? Romans 8, 28, uses it all for good. Somehow, in his greatness, right? And some of our greatest lessons, sometimes it takes getting into the belly of a fish to get something formed deeply in us. One more. Dar- um, you guys, come on up. Uh, and it's stinky in the belly of a fish. Yeah, I can't, can't imagine. Ugh. Yeah, Billy, y'all come on up wherever y'all are at. Oh, from the sound booth. So why don't we use this message at the very beginning of our faith? Can you enlighten why we wouldn't start with where our faith is and how Jonah trusted? Why don't we start with that trust first? Yeah. And then add all the context of the Bible into our understanding of yeah. Yeah. our faith, yeah. our individual faith in Jesus Christ. It's a great question. You know, I, I, again, I, I think that's going to flesh out as we, as we get in this. But I, I just, I think briefly here in conclusion, let me just, I think it's, boy, I got so many things. One would be, gang, it, it, today I fear that when we talk about the gospel with people is that we just give a little sliver. God loves you. He's got a great plan for your life. All is peachy, wonderful. Come, Jesus is going to heal you, help you, bless your entire life. Um, we, we never get to the part of repentance. We never get to the part of, of denying ourselves to follow him, though. Right? To, to under, really understand the cross is when you understand, why did he die for me? That's, I mean, the God sent his son to die for me, to take my, to cover me, to wash me clean. Um, I, I got to deal with that. And I'm afraid that we, we bring people in with a self-help, oh, wonderful, beautiful message. And then I like, you know, a year or two years later, like you're saying, oh, oh, by the way, you're supposed to trust him. You're, you're really supposed to do what he says in there. And, 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 oh, yeah, by the way, yeah, he, he's, he's God of justice, actually, <laughs> right? And it's just like, it's almost a, right, a bait and switch or something, right? So, somebody over here? Huh? Yeah, beautiful. That's it, right? Belief is, is yes, it's believing, but it's trust, right? Faith is belief, but it's also trust, relational. And we, we, need, to, we need to experience God, and, and he journeys with us, Right? And that's how we get to the place of trust is, you're right, without taking steps of faith and life experience of leaning into God, learning from our mistakes and not, we, uh, our faith doesn't grow. That's good. Well, gang, dive in this week, right? And feel free to shoot me questions or comments or blessings, encouragements, but we're going to, uh, it's going to be a wonderful journey. And, and may the conversation not end here. It should never end here. It should go out to lunch. It should go to the coffee table. It should go wherever, to the dining room, kitchen. Let's, let's, uh, let's dive in and have God speak to us, right? Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that you will overwhelm us with your, in, your vast love, God. Lord, so much bigger than what we intellectually like 
put together, God. Your sovereignty, your justice, your holy God. You're amazing. And Lord, your grace for us, your mercy. Uh, there's, there's a scripture that's indescribable. Mm. Father, meet us. Holy Spirit, now, each and every one of us, right where we're at, Lord, come gently, powerfully. Change us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Just take some time, and as we close out, um, just rejoice. Come to the table. Remember, this is, shouldn't be an individual journey to the table. It should be in community. Grab somebody else or wait and walk with somebody else. Come circle up around that table and rejoice in, uh, in what Jesus has done for us as we close out. God bless you guys. Have an amazing, amazing week. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.